Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Always a pleasure to have your company for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Don't forget you can find out some more at tobinbrothers.com.au. Today we celebrate the life of a man who has had a lifetime in footy. He's been behind the scenes. He's had a kick every now and then. But it's really his life behind the scenes that has made him one of the best known names in footy. Shane O'Sullivan, welcome to you, mate. Thanks very much, Peter. Uh, feel very uh, honoured to be here. Well, uh, no, we should honour your life in <laughs> footy because it's been a long life in footy and it's been uh, a labour of love for you. Oh, absolutely. I I must admit, I feel like, you know, I've just been like a hobby for 40-odd years to be, you know, working in something that you love and, uh, you know, enjoy going to work still every day. It's uh, when you're around a lot of, you know, young people, it uh, makes you sort of still feel young yourself. So, it's a joy that um, you know I've had forty years of uh, something that you love doing. It started basically at Carlton. It, it is at Carlton at the moment. What's the business title? What's the title on the business card at the moment for you? Uh, um, I think um, uh, it's changed so much. But the last uh, twelve months, I've been looking after the past players and, and life members. So, um, which has sort of certainly been good fun particularly uh, when I've probably recruited a lot of those past players and to get back in contact with a lot of them. And um, that, that's that been really good fun and still be able to go into state and sort of catch up with the, the past players and get them to functions and that. So um, no, no real title. It's just, um, yeah, working for the Carlton Footy Club, something that I've enjoyed for, you know, in two stints, well over 30 years. Do you still enjoy, Shane, when you get the opportunity to see the boys training? And I, I'd imagine it's on a pristine surface now. Do you still get that thrill? Obviously, you do it on match days. But you're the sort of footy animal that even loves training <laughs> sessions. Oh, well, I was there be- uh, this morning you know, for a good half an hour before I come down to see you. And, um, yeah, no, most training sessions I love getting out, particularly when the new boys, the new drafted boys come in. So you like to sort of, you know, sort of see how they move and how they cope with training and things like that. So, no, no, and particularly the way the ground that is at the moment, um, you know, it's fantastic. And, I mean, there's so many coaches out there too and, and different people. You've got to, you know, make sure you keep an eye on what's going on. But, yeah, no, it's a, you know, training's the best part of it. You've seen the game change so much in your time in footy. Is every change a change for the better or... Are there some things from the old days that we still could have clung on to? Uh, I reckon there's a few things. I was just thinking about when I was coming in, and I know one little crazy thing, you know, you know, the boys now can't sort of get into any malaise or anything, but, you know, some of the excitement days when I can remember, uh, you'd probably remember when we played Collingwood or someone, Fev would walk through the huddle and call, mm-hmm. you know, cause havoc and things like that. I mean, the boys are too terrified now to, uh, you know, sort of get too much involved, but... 
sometimes, you know, in the last few years when you've been down the boundary and they hit and you think, oh my God, you know, they, how they didn't really get badly hurt. It just amazes you. Everything is analysed to the most minute detail in football. Yep. So it's good that you have that love of the game. Otherwise, it could easily become a chore because it is, it's almost 24-7 footy these days. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, every, uh, I think we've got about three or four, even at training, three or four different angles for training and they go and review. And, um, you know, so there's there's no getting away, away with anything, but um, we're all trying to evolve and, and keep learning and things like that. So... I noticed the other day, Tiggy takes them over the boundary line and they look at the big screen on the on the side of the ground there just to go through what they've just done to make sure that uh, they understand it all and things like that. So, yeah, it's just where it's heading, you just never know, I suppose. And, um, yeah, the game is just every – I mean, I suppose we've got so many coaches and everyone's got a few different ideas. So, yeah, it's just evolving all the time. Tiggy seems to be the sort of guy that – gets the best out of people. He's got a good relationship with not only his players, but everyone around the club, or so it seems from the outside. Oh, absolutely. And I think it goes back to uh, when we got him to the club, um, just the way he played the game. You know, he's a best former best and fairest winner. And I, I think even with our supporters, they sort of still feel that, you know, that he was a Carlton player and best and fairest winner. And, and then when he went into the coaching, he, you know, our Northern Blues team, you know, they made the grand final two years in a row, didn't win it. But he, you certainly saw a, a thing at the start there that, you know, he's got away with people. But I think he's just got a, you know, footy's important, but he doesn't make it to them as though it's the most important thing, family and, um, you know, enjoying yourself and things like that. But he, he, he's he's firm and he's hard when he has to be. Like, you know, he's even, you know, Patrick Cripps and some of the boys have sort of uh, – heard what he sort of really thinks a few times, but, you know, they know that it's genuine and he cares about them and things like that. And he just gets around to every player, actually, like Thursdays, he's got his little notebook and goes around every player, you know, in the on the squad and it lets them know what, what's required for that weekend, whether you're playing AFL or VFL. Ultimately, Shane, footy is a win-loss business, though. That's how you determine whether you're a successful club. Carlton's a big club, but they've been starved of success. How important is it that the climb gets you gradually knocking on the door of the eight, playing regular finals, and then winning that flag, the first one since 1995, because it's been a long time? Oh, boy, has what? Um, yeah, look, I think um, I think the whole strategy over the last few years has been, you know, working our way towards, you know, getting back in the finals. But, you know, you don't want to be a one-hit wonder. Um, you certainly, like you said, we, we want to sort of work our way up and, you know, once we sort of get into the eight, we want to stay there for a long time. And, um, you know, Carlton in the past, you know, if you didn't win, it was like a Royal Commission Mondays. And, um, you know, I think hopefully I can sort of sense that, you know, the expectations, even with the players are starting to understand that, you know, now that we've got a lot of talent around and they've had three or four pre-seasons, it's time that we've got to really start to perform. And, Hopefully they've got good expectations, you know, from themselves. But, um, yeah, like, uh, it's amazing. I must admit the supporters have been pretty loyal. Once we get there, we want to stay there. And Carlton, have, yeah, once we play finals, we're, we're pretty good at winning them. So uh, I've been lucky enough to be around, you know, for five and we've won four. So it's, uh, you know, we've got a good record once we get in there. Was it a difficult time recently when one of the champions of the club, Steve Silvani, parted ways with the club? It's, I guess it's always hard when you have a name that is synonymous with the football club who goes 
in circumstances, depending on who you listen to, that yep. might have been very difficult. Oh, absolutely. And I think, uh, I think everyone acknowledges what a great job Stephen's done, really. Um, you know, he, he sort of, uh, and I think Brendan Bolton's got to take a, a bit of credit too. I know it's probably hard for him at the moment, but he and Stephen were prepared to sort of, you know, strip it right back and, and recruit the best young talent we could. And Soss is a, you know, an all time legend of the club. And hopefully, um, you know, we sort of certainly sort of see him back around the place, but it's always difficult when those sort of things happen. And, you know, there's a lot of, lot of rumors going around, but, um, I think at the end of the day, you know, it was, Stephen probably thought it was best for him to go with the boys there and things like that. So uh, I'm sure we'll see him around and, and he'll uh, certainly enjoy watching, um, hopefully, the success we have in the next uh, couple of years. Let's turn back the sands of time and we've got to turn them back a fair <laughs> way uh, because you've been in footy. I was just doing a calculation in my head. I think you've been in footy for six different decades now, probably. Let's go back all the way to the little town of Bunyip. Yeah, great place. Is that where it all began for you? Yeah, I was. Uh, my dream was to coach the Bunyip Footy Club. That was my biggest dream. Um, my brother Gary and I, we used to, you know, race down to training on Tuesday and Thursday nights, get behind the goals and kick the footies back. And um, then match days, we'd be down to the ground and, um, you know, you didn't have um, sort of property stewards or those sort of people. In those days, um, you know, we'd Gary and I would sort of uh, compete to who looked after everyone's watches and wallets and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, it was a great, great time. And then, you know, playing footy for Bunyip as well was, was a highlight. And I think one weekend I was lucky enough, I p- played in the under 16s and then at half time they come to me and said, would you mind playing the seconds? They're a bit short. And I said, not a problem. So I played the second half of that. And then they come to me again at, at uh, three quarter time, which we got a couple of injuries. Would you play in the seniors? I said, you got me. <laughs> I went home pretty exhausted that night, but, um, yeah, great town. And, um, you know, gosh, I look back and we even, um, had, uh, when footy season finished one year, we, we, we lived on the hill, what we, you'd call it in Bunyip and a few mates down on the flats. We organized a, a game at the end of the year and we actually organized a, a girls game as well. So gosh, we started something way, way back that, uh, taken a while to get going, but, um, it was a good fun day and um, yeah, everyone just loved their footy down at Bunyip and you either played footy or cricket and couldn't wait for the next thing to start, either footy or the cricket. So it was a great time. Mummy came from Bunyip, didn't he? The big sausage eater. <clears throat> he did. He did. And young uh, Papley at the... Tommy Papley, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. Max, Max comes his grandfather area. moved to yep. Bunyip after he played at South Melbourne, yep. I think. Yeah, he did. And um, yeah, the Papleys have all sort of grown up around Bunyip. But yeah, no, um, big mummy and Pappy are the... Uh, the highlights of the Bunyip area now. So, and of course, your good self. <laughs> well, there's there's uh, six boys, so we've sort of had a little impact at, uh, and two. I better mention my two sisters as well. So it's a big, big tribe of O'Sullivan's from Bunyip. So after Bunyip, I think it was the VFA was your next step in footy, wasn't it? Well, no, I, I had a, a cousin or mum's cousin, second cousin to me, Bill Drake was coaching in Canberra at Eastlake. Right. So um, I, I went up and played up there for three years and lucky enough to play in a premiership and um, uh, Mickey Collins' dad coached uh, Monica and uh, Chris Fowler and um, and a few of those guys. Uh, David Morgan, whose uh, wife was, uh, Roz, was the, you know, in the the, uh, federal government. They all played there and uh, were lucky enough to win a flag. And then I went and played footy in Queensland for a couple of years and then come back and played at um, 
Caulfield and the VFA and under Paddy Ganane. And, um, yeah, which was a lot of fun as well. And I worked in the hotel game there for a little while while I was playing for Caulfield. It was a tough competition in those days, Shane, in the VFA. Well, it was, and it was, uh, you know, when, I remember when you, you know, my son plays at Port Melbourne, which is hard to sort of follow the, the borough, but um, you'd go there and you'd put your head down and you're certainly prepared to cop something from uh, from uh, one of the Port boys in the head. But, um, yeah, no, it was, a, it was a tough and hard competition. You know, I mean, um, I, I must, grew up watching the VFA, you know, mad Danny Nong fans in those days, you know, Frosty Miller and people like that. Paddy Flaherty, oh, Eddie yeah, Milog. Yeah, you know, even Big Paddy played there for a year or so, and um, Steadwells, and yeah, they were, it was some terrific players that played in the VFA in those days, and I was lucky enough to um, play in 1980, I think it was, play for the VFA. We played South Australia over at Footy Park, you know, Mark Williams played, and Norsworthy, and Cornsey, uh, and yeah, it was a pretty, uh, Freddie Cook was playing for us at the mm. time, and Gary Davis, and so it was a... Um, fantastic sort of game to play in as well. So it was a really good competition, the VFA. So we're going to go from the playing football days (coughs) to the administrative days, and we'll find out how that transition evolved when we come back on the other side of the break. Hope you're enjoying the chat with Shane O'Sullivan on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Find out more at tobinbrothers.com.au. Plenty more to come with Shane after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Great to have Shane O'Sullivan with us as my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934, Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Right, Shane, we've talked about all the times when you had a kick. Yeah, How great. did you finish up in the job that you've had for so long now? Oh, look, I was pretty fortunate, to be honest. Um, when I played football in Queensland, I got uh, quite friendly with a guy called Max Scales and his family, and um, Max uh, ended up coming back and being general manager of Richmond Footy Club, and uh, he heard there was a job going at Carlton, and I, I was back as a, doing a, I was a sporting goods rep down here at the time. And, um, anyway, I, uh, was up the country and I thought, this is driving me mad. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll put in for that job and put in for it. But unfortunately, um, at the time they gave it to a past player in Greg Kennedy, who was a full forward for the blues and, and, uh, was a terrific fella. Anyway, um, and the good thing in those times, I got to quite friendly with the late Alan Swab and, and some of those sort of people, Graham Richmond. So you sort of got to know and and also probably one of the people that really helped me in footy was Kevin Sheedy, of course. You know, um, I used to go out with Sheeds and do footy clinics and he'd throw you to the wolves and you had to run it and things like that. So, um, you know, he certainly sort of has been fantastic for me to get involved. But anyway, um, about, oh, I think, three or four months after that that I got told I didn't get the job, I got a phone call to from Carlton to see if I was still interested because Greg uh, decided to go back and be a carpet layer, which he'd been doing. And they said, uh, would you still be interested? And when could you start if you're interested? I said, I'll be there tomorrow. Mm. So um, I'll never forget my first day. I went down just for another interview and um, Robert Klomp had arrived at the club and Curly Austin uh, was walking out leaving because uh, didn't get selected in, in the first game. And I thought, oh, crikey, you know, what, what, what's going on here? But um 
Yeah, that that was basically you know through uh, going for an interview originally and then missing out, but then getting a phone call to see if I'd still be keen. It was uh, it was one of those great phone calls that I'll never forget. So it was yeah, start at the Blues and I think it was round three. I started against Geelong and um, I can still remember walking in and I was you know pretty nervous and I had to meet Wes Lofts. That and, would have been intimidating. Yeah, it was, and I can still see as I walked in. You know, the old Carlton race there and Wes was standing there and he had the big, you know, big, big long Navy coat on and, uh, you know, pretty impressive fella and um, went up and said, yeah, who I was and all that sort of thing and said, all right, son, you better come in and see what goes on. So I went, went and that was my first day and uh, I'll never forget though um, th- that day when uh, I got uh, to start the uh, Greg Kennedy was there as well, showing me around, and uh, that they were that hard to get into the rooms at Carlton. Those Frank Armstrong wouldn't let Greg in because he didn't work there anymore, <laughs> so uh, he wouldn't let the wind in, old Frank. So it was uh, it was a, an interesting start, but yeah, just to uh, walk in there and um, you know being around Jezza and people like that, I just couldn't believe my luck. I thought, you know, apart from wishing you could play the game at that level, it was the next best thing for someone who loved their footy. They've had a few famous character on the door at Carlton over the years. Um, blokes who wouldn't let you in, oh. despite the fact that you might have been there for a long time, <laughs> or you had your media accreditation. Or they just well, they, uh, they were stern. They were. They. Uh, I think sometimes they've taken their roles a little bit too far. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think even prime ministers have had trouble getting yes. in at different times. But um, yeah, no. Look, I mean, gosh, the way the game's going now, it's even probably harder to even get down to that level now, uh, which is a bit of a shame. Because Malcolm Fraser was a big Carlton man, wasn't he? Absolutely, and uh, we're lucky enough to uh, have a couple of dinners at the Lodge when the boys won the premierships, and uh, I think a few things might have walked out, you know, a couple of ashtrays and knives and forks from the Lodge. Uh, you know, some of the boys might have kept as uh, mementos. Wouldn't care to share any names of the uh, <laughs> alleged thieves. Well, I don't think it'd be too hard to work out Number 16 and, yeah, number five. Jay Buckley. Yeah. And, Kay Sheldon. Yeah, and probably 30, 36. 30, uh, 33 would be around there, Peter yeah, McConville. Yeah. So. All right. Um, I think the statute of limitations has yeah. probably run out, so I think they're okay now. That's it. As you mentioned, you got to the footy club at a good time because it was a golden oh, era for Carlton. Absolutely. Like, you know, I was a Collingwood supporter as a young fella and, uh, you know, going to work at Carlton was, you know, unbelievable. And even though I was... Uh, Cried and disappointed many time with the with the pies, but um, uh, 1979, you know, to walk in there and to uh, be a part of a, a winning team and then to make the grand final and it was fantastic sort of time because Jezza was you know full time at the club and um, you know in the footy department there was Keith McKenzie general manager Peter Allen was the finance guy or secretary and a lady called Anne McLeod and and basic myself that was the footy department and Jezza. And, um, yeah, just being a mad footy person to be able to sort of walk in every day and sit and talk to Alex Jezelenko, you know, thought all my dreams had come true. And I used to train with Alex a little bit as well because, you know, being captain coach, he, he needed to do his own work a bit outside, you know, training times because he was supervising training. And, you know, when the Blues uh, won the grand final, it was just, just amazing and um, a selfishly little highlight after the game at the Hilton, Alex come up to me and said, come on, we'll just go and have a chat about the game in the corner and just have a drink together. And I thought, he wants to talk to me. You know, like it was just mm. one of those moments that, um, you know, I'll tre- treasure forever. And uh, it was, um, 
you know, one of those highlights. And then the saddest thing is that all sort of, after that sort of all sort of blew up a little bit at the end after uh, the AGM. And then David Parkin came along, but it was still the, the golden era. And we talked about the dry era now for Carlton. Yeah. But when you turn up and you win a flag in 79, you win a flag in 81, you win a flag in 82, footy life doesn't get much better than that, does it? No, I just thought, how easy is all this? Yeah. But, um, and, and we probably should have won in 80 as well. We, we had a couple of injuries just near the end. Um, and, you know, Perth was coaching that year, which was an interesting year on its own. Yes. And, um, I want to ask you about that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, look, you know, it was, um, it, it sort of got to the stage where, you know, in particularly in 82, we struggled to make the eight, uh, the four, but we, we made it. And, uh, I, they were the sort of guys, once they, it was like a new season finals time, once the finals come, they all just lifted a cog and, uh, just knew what to do. And, you know, they, they, uh, just had such belief in themselves. It was unbelievable. So define interesting when you say that Peter Jones purse was in charge <laughs> in 1980. Oh gosh. Yeah. I, I don't know where you start. But look, he, um, you know, I, th- I suppose he was thrown into the role because, um, you know, his popularity uh, was like Alex at the time, you know, when he, Alex decided to sort of go with George Harris and that. But um, yeah, like some training sessions were quite interesting at different times. Um, yeah, and Mark McClure worked for him at the hotel and would come and say, you know, I'm not sure how the big fella's going to be tonight. But um, yeah, and, and, you know, Purse was, uh, you know, I suppose, um, just couldn't understand at times why they all couldn't sort of, you know, work harder for him or, or whatever. But, um, and also selection was interesting. You know, he, him and Mike Fitzpatrick had a bit of a running sort of time over the journey and, uh, he'd always loved starting Fitzy on the bench, you know, when he was the coach and things like that. So, but look, it, it was, um, you know, he calls uh, David the Hawthorne, Hawthorne bloke who uh, come in and I suppose were lucky enough to get Kenny Hunter and Bazasto at that time, who certainly added to, you know, the talent that the Blues had. So you've gone through this golden era and then all of a sudden you get a phone call. Was it Tony Capes who called you? It was. He's a, what a great man Tony Capes uh, was and, um, you know, sad that he's not with us anymore. But I'd had a fair bit to do with Tony in the um, under 17, the Teal Cup sides. Um I remember going to meetings with Alan Swab and, and the 12 footy clubs and, were, you know, Victoria and the Teal Cup were getting beaten all the time and we couldn't work out what was going on. And anyway, cut a long story short, one um, the next meeting, Swabby said, righto, Slug, Jordan, you're the coach, Shane, you're the manager and runner and all that. And um, and we started to sort of, you know, get dove in and make sure we got all the best players and they sort of made sure the regions all had games where we could get make sure we didn't miss anyone and uh tony was the the doctor as well so i got to know him through there and um after 82 he sort of really pressured me about coming across and i suppose you know a great club like carlton you're not sure if if uh, you're really capable or, or is it just the club's name and things like that because when you're knocked on the door for people to come and play at the blues at that time you know they'd just jump at it and come mm. and want to be at a successful club so um yeah, it was a pretty gut-wrenching time and um, I must admit it took me a while to say yes. And you started a relationship with Mick Malthouse at uh, Footscray, the Western Bulldogs, which was to go on and have another incarnation later on. You and Mick had a great relationship. Yeah, we did and um, it, was, it was a phenomenal time. But um, I, I got to know uh, Mick um, 
before I got involved at Carlton um, through Paddy Ganane and that I got to train at Richmond a bit and um, I'll never forget, you know, Neil Baum and Mick were just amazing to a lot of the younger fellas and anyway, when I uh, got the job at Footscray, I can remember having a chat with Alan Swab and he said, you know, someone you've got to keep an eye on, perhaps to coach your VFL team or your seconds team, you know, someone like Mick Malthouse would be good and it just sat in the back of my mind and... Um, and at the end of uh, 83, uh, we certainly, when Bluey Hampshire decided to give it away, um, I started having a chat to Mick. Uh, we'd sort of meet places where no one had really sort of recognised uh, him at all. And, yeah, it was an amazing sort of time at Footscray. He, was, he did a great job. And I, I think um, his winning uh, record at Footscray has been amazing, particularly when we played at uh, Witten Oval. It was just uh, incredible sort of uh, wins we had there. And... I can remember one game we played Essendon. It was a magnificent day at uh, Whitnover. I think we had 35, 36,000 people there and um, had a good win. And, um, yeah, he, he certainly you know, changed the face of the whole place. And it came very close to the ultimate reward, of course, in 1985 when they got to that preliminary final and the famous incident with Brad Hardy looking up at Mick in the coach's box. Yeah, 85 first, it was one of those great years that I've ever been in footy. You had to see a club like Footscray um, not have success for so long. And um, you had to sort of see us in a winning, um, you know, it was just incredible to, and the support that we got and, and the crowds and things. And I don't think I've ever seen, um, you know, ever and, and still haven't, you know, a group of grown men in tears after a game. I thought, you know, we, we played so well. It was funny, we, we felt we could beat Essendon if we were playing them in a grand final, but we couldn't beat Hawthorne during the year. But um, Brad Hardy did an amazing job that day on Lee Matthews and then, like an absolute champion Lee is, he'd come back on and, and sort of changed the game at the end. But, uh, yeah, and then in 86 when Brad did the um, swing into the jumper, it was you know pretty sad sort of time at half time. I can assure you it was pretty tense. We're going to move on to the next chapter after the break. Now, you just said something about your meetings with Mick and you said that you went to places where people wouldn't know that you were. Well, one day I found out you were somewhere. Yeah. And we might have to relive that day. Okay. At Peter Jess's office as <laughs> the Brisbane Bears were starting to be formed. Do okay. you remember that day? I do. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about that when we come back on the other side of the break. Okay. Shane O'Sullivan is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Find out more at tobinbrothers.com.au. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hope you're enjoying the chat with the legendary football administrator, Shane O'Sullivan, on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives, Tobin Brothers, a family-owned business since 1934. Shane, I alluded to something after the break, after or before the break, after the Western Bulldogs, you were then given one of the biggest tasks in football, and that involved starting a new team, basically from scratch in Queensland. Yep. So you had to find players from somewhere. And there were all sorts of players that were being mentioned. Now, one particular day I was sitting in the newsroom at Channel 7 and we got a tip-off that Roger Merritt, a guy called Roger Merritt, might have been talking to Peter Jess, who was, I think, his manager at the time, yeah. to get to Brisbane. You were involved in these discussions. Do you remember what happened that day? Yeah, well, uh, you're certainly right. We were, we were talking to Roger and well down the track and, um, yeah, we, we sort of got the word or 
one of the, I think one of the girls might have come and said to Pete, the presser out the front. So good old Jesse, like he was, uh, he could make things happen. So he, I think he got Roger out the back door and mm. I've walked out and sort of probably couldn't, you know, sort of hide that something had been going on and, and you were standing there. So, uh, yeah, we will certainly caught, uh, but yeah, unfortunately you only had to speak to me at Roger uh, had already disappeared. Yes, and uh, let me just say that you were somewhat surprised by my presence, and um, I don't think you were as forthcoming as you have been with me in subsequent years. Yeah, you you put the yeah you know, the barriers up sometimes when you're trying to. You have to. Yeah, and, and look, how much you, subterfuge was going on at that time to try and get players up to well, the Brisbane Bears? I mean, I'm I'm sure if the AFL will look back in those days, VFL, that, you know, the way they set the Bears up was, you know, pretty disappointing for, you know, West Coast coming at the same time at a state of origin team. Um, clubs were told that to give us three players. Well, you know, good old Colo gave us three players. Two had retired, one had gone overseas. And um, to be fair, the, the I reckon the only two clubs that were pretty fair to us was Essendon and um, um, and Geelong. Ken Gannon was pretty good to deal with and Barry Capuano. I think with Essendon will probably help come at a good time when they probably needed a little bit of um, help with their cap. So, you know, Jeff Rains and Richo and and Frankie Donnell and some of those boys. But, um, you know, uh, after the first year, we'll sort of ride into to Roger and uh, he was he was keen to sort of you know, make a move. And and um, so we, we needed, you know, we just needed some name players and someone that could really sort of help, you know, get the club sort of going. But, um, yeah, there was a lot of... A lot of sneaking around and, and talking to different players. And it was an amazing time. I remember with Steve Reynolds and we got from Geelong and, and this is what the situation was at the time. Like Ken and I worked out a contract or an agreement payment to, to, uh, you know, pay the transfer fee. And at the time, if any player was contracted that did come to the Bears, the AFL would then put another fee on top of that. So it was a pretty tough time, you know, to sort of get slugged twice for a, a player that actually the you know, the club had let go and, and we'd already done a deal. So, um, you know, I, th- I think out of, uh, you know, I know I'm sort of involved, I was involved with them, but I think out, out of all the new clubs, you know, we certainly probably had the rawest deal of, of uh, you know, getting started. And, you know, then Scase went went broke and um, we had, I'll never forget it, we had Andrew Jarman and Chris McDermott and those sort of boys all signed up. And Andrew said, all I want is a guarantee from Christopher that, you know, the money and all that would be there. And then Christopher went belly up the next day. Well, you know, just just hurt us badly that we couldn't sort of get those. And Chris McDermott did his knee and didn't play for a year. And then Cornsey talked him into not even thinking about coming up. And I think South Australian had the retention scheme where, mm. you know, they'll, there was too much money to sort of lose by coming up and things like that. So, you know, it was one thing after another and... um you know, we just sort of, uh, you know, I, I still feel that, you know, in the first year we, you know, Peter Knights and that did an amazing job. We won six games and seven in the next and eight in the next. So, you know, for, for a team that was given a pretty tough time to get it all and we're training every, all over the place in Brisbane, um, yeah, it was a, a pretty good effort just the same. How many times did you sit in a room with Christopher Scase and say, this guy has got truckloads of money, but he's got no idea about running a football club? Um, yeah, look to be, he was a fascinating guy, to be honest, like, um, uh, you know, when you went to him and had, had time with him, you know, things were really good. Things could, could happen. Um, but unfortunately he was, you know, trying to, you know, 
take over the whole world at the time with Fox Studios and things like that. But, um, you know, when you actually had his time, um, he, he was quite good. And surprisingly enough, you know, he'd walk past the players and call them by their name and they'd get a shot because some of them never, ever met him. But, um, you know, I'll never forget one day Peter Knights and I got called in to Christopher and Paul Cronin. Um, we had to uh, sack five players because we'd lost five games and uh, early on. And I thought, gosh, if this keeps going on, we, if we have to keep sacking and we don't win a game, we won't have any players. So it was, you know, not realistic. They didn't sort of quite understand, you know, you had to build a team and, you know, sometimes you um, you got to let it sort of evolve and, you know, to be honest, we were, we were sort of um, um, made to take, you know, Warwick Kappa. We had to take Warwick and... And, um, yeah, and had to play him. Yeah, and, and, and I feel for Warwick in lots of ways because, um, you know, this is where footy people should be allowed to do their job, where we knew at Carrara it was going to be tough for him because it was nearly two kicks out of the centre to get there, where at Sydney, you know, one kick and Warwick could jump on heads like you wouldn't believe, where, you know, at Carrara, you know, it's a whole different ball game and... Uh, yeah, it just didn't work for him, which was unfortunate, and you know, it cost you know cost us you know, you know people like John Fidge and that that perhaps might have been able to do a, you know even better job, but um, yeah, that was just the way it was at the time. When they had their golden era, when they won those flags three in a row, fourth grand final, shot at a fourth one, did you feel as though you were part of that success in some small way because you were there in the embryonic years? Um, well, I felt really proud that you know we're part of starting. Um, you know, a footy uh, club up in that, you know, uh, sort of rugby league area. Um, particularly the first one, I probably felt a bit, you know, because there was players like Dara White and Sean Hart and some of those boys, you know, Michael Voss, and you, you felt sort of quite proud. And, um, you know, this, I don't mean to sort of talk about myself, but I'll never forget, it was a, one of the nicest things I've ever seen. You know, Daryl White, they, Peter Belucha did a thing on each player, you know, what they were thinking and all that. And he said that... Um, you know, he was thinking of people like myself and that that set the club up. And I thought, well, yeah, that's enough. You know, you sort of feel like you've um, had <clears throat> had some involvement with them. And, uh, you know, Andrew Island, um, to get Andrew Island at the club as well was, you know, terrific. You know, and, and he certainly doesn't get enough credit for what he's done for that football club as well. You'd gone by that stage. Yeah. Um, did the move to Brisbane effectively save the whole operation? Was it doomed to be dead if they hadn't gone to Brisbane? Oh, absolutely. I can remember when Andrew got the job, we, we used to meet, um, you know, secretly before he got the job as the CEO um, about how we could set the gabber up and things like that because, you know, we all knew that we had to, like, I mean, we didn't even get press in the, the biggest paper in Queensland, we, you know, the, the Gold Coast Mail, but, I mean, you know, that's only to a certain amount of people, so it just had to be in Brisbane and, when we played, um, like I can remember as a young fellow, you know, when I played in Queensland, we played Tasmania at the Gabba, Queensland. We had 16,500 people, you know, back in the, the early days. So, mm. you know, there was footy was pretty strong. Like the local QFL, and when I was playing up there, you know, we'd get sort of 12, 13 to a grand final, 1,000 people. So you knew the people were there that loved footy. Um, and, but it had to, be in, had to be in Brisbane for sure at that time anyway. When you came back down, I think it was Oakley, that yep. you came back to in the VFA again, that famous ground on Warrigal Road yeah. there. What yeah. was that time like? It was interesting. I, I think, um, you know, I've sort of coached under-17s and that in Queensland when I was playing, but to coach a senior team 
um, was interesting. And, you know, sort of at that stage, I was doing a bit of work with Greg Miller at North Melbourne and that was as well. So, and, and a little bit at Footscray at the start, but, um, yeah, to, to coach, uh, a senior team, um, was interesting. And I'll, I'll never forget we played, um, Sandy, Sandringham in the first game of the year or second game of the year. And, um, they'd won the premiership under Barks the year before and uh, we're in front at half time, and I can remember walking out, walking down the race, and my legs were shaking, thinking, "Can we hang on?" <laughs> so uh, we, we had to end up having a win, but um, oh, it was it was good fun, and you know, I've sort of still got quite a few um, friends from the, that year. Um, so it was uh, it was really interesting, and it was good too. Yeah, my young fella Tom, I can remember. Uh, He'd always sit in the end of the the, the uh, seat with all the players, and so I always made sure that there was, you know, the language was always pretty uh, clean and clear. So, uh, but yeah, no, it was a good, great time. And then, um, you know, unfortunately, fortunately, I sort of was able to get back in in the footy full time. So, did you ever see yourself as a, an aspirational coach, or was it just one of those things that happened along the way, and then the natural progression saw you go back to something you were more comfortable with? Yeah. I coach yeah look it was uh it was sort of a thing I suppose to um you know just keep me involved and uh as I said even though I was doing a little bit with Greg at North recruiting and, and that but um yeah no I was I was you know starving to get back to you know the admin side of things um you know the coaching was uh rather you know I'd rather sit back and give some coaches my thoughts rather than have to deliver everything all the time and think about everything it, it's it's an interesting thing like, um, you know, you've got to get up in front of a group of people and they're all listening and you've got to make sure that, uh, you know, you're giving some good words of wisdom. So I've never, ever been too critical of coaches uh, at different times when they've, um, you know, losing the plot or uh, I can remember in those days you'd you'd stand on the sidelines and the fence and the runner was always beside me and I kept punching him in the arm. I don't know why. <laughs> And after every game, I apologise, but I thought they do do silly thing, coaches. So uh, I was one for a year anyway. Well, um, if you want uh, proof of that, just ask. Uh, Paul Williams has been a guest on this program yep. before, and he sat at the right hand of Rocket <laughs> for a little while in the coach's box. Yep. And if you needed proof that coaches do strange things, just have a chat to Willow about yeah. that time. <laughs> Uh, for sure. We're just about out of time. We'll come back and we'll talk about the reincarnation yep. incarnation back at Carlton and uh, back at home in lots of yep. ways for you. Shane O'Sullivan is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives, Tobin Brothers, a family-owned business since 1934. Our final segment with Shane coming up after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Our final segment with Shane O'Sullivan on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Find out more at tobinbrothers.com.au. I just want to take you back one thing when you're talking about person coaching. He nearly got himself suspended when he was a coach one day. He nearly got into a fight. He and Tony Jewell. Yep. Were you close to that? Was right in the middle of it all. It was uh, it was an interesting day. It was one of the finals, and um, we we're playing out at Waverley and against the Tigers. And um, Rudy Webster, who was a West Indian and great Carlton sort of friend of Wes and person, did a bit of work as a sports psychologist and went to Richmond. And I think he sort of pumped the Tigers up if you uh, you know really bash in and 
work, you know, give them a bit of a work over, they'll fold, Carlton. Anyway, I caught a time we had three or four players, you know, getting stitched and, you know, we're behind and all that. And Purse has come down and I don't mean rude, but he you know, had a stutter and um, he's yelling out obscenities to, to Rudy. And uh, anyway, I've grabbed him and said, come on, we've got to, you know, you've got to talk to the boys. And so that got done. And then um, the coaches are walking off and he's still yelling out. And uh, Tony Jewell comes across and um, he said, you, you, you know, so-and-so sort of thing. And uh, the person, Tony, swung one at each other and I'm sort of in the middle <laughs> trying to. But the, one of my biggest fears was Bruce Combin, who was not frightened of having a bit of a dash at times. He was, I could hear him running up behind me. I thought, we've got to finish this quick. Otherwise, there will be a bit on. And then, um, you know, so we broke it up and uh, I think the Tigers end up winning. But we, uh, the next day, World of Sport, a club corner uh, person, Tony, were there. And um, unbeknownst to the two, they brought, you know, Rudy in and... Uh, Rudy said it was amazing. You had know, two white men fighting over a black man. So, <laughs> so they, uh, but it brought a little bit of fun. And, you know, it's funny enough, Tony's, uh, um, you know, quite good friends with Mark McClure and all those sort of things. But, um, Purse, uh, loves, uh, bringing it up every now and again, how he nearly knocked Tony out and all that sort of thing. So interesting day. Now, the one other thing that I was, um, I should have mentioned to you and the journey of Carlton was something that Wesloff said to you one day. He said, um, Shane, just go out and find me another Royce Hart, will you? <laughs> yeah. Well, you did, didn't you? Well, I, f- I feel my wife thinks I've been living off this one all my life. Um, yeah, when I first started, you know, Wes said we've got to find a Royce, you know, another Royce Hart. And uh, I can remember my first trip to Western Australia to watch the under-16s and um, saw this young fellow called Stephen Kernahan, And um, oh, he was amazing. And... Uh, Anyway, I come back and I said to Wes, I, I think I found the next Royce Hart. And, oh, now don't be silly, don't be silly. Anyway, cut a long story short, uh, he certainly uh, thought, you know, gosh, I think you have found a good one here. And we were lucky enough, um, you know, I kept sort of chasing Stephen. And uh, the good thing about Stephen Kernan, uh, uh, it's amazing. He's no different today to what he was there, just a champion young fella and happy just to be in the corner having a beer with his mates. But, um, you know, they were terrific. I, I said to Wes, the only problem is Stephen Dad's Harry is the GM of um, Glenelg Footy Club and, you know, they hate Victorians. So we've got a job on our hands and, you know, we threw Bruce Dool on to him, phoning him up and, you know, all sorts of things. And at the end of the day, um, Harry said to us, look, you know, we'll bring Stephen over and, and Ed Noel and Stephen will pay our own way and whoever gets his signature can reimburse us three teams that they spoke to was Essendon, Melbourne and the Blues. But, uh, yeah, thank goodness we were able to sign Stephen. And, you know, I think he's just been probably our greatest player ever, really. Last point for you. Yeah. All of the things that you've achieved in footy, you were nominated and received the Jack Titus Award a few years ago. Yeah. For giving the game something, uh, your contribution to the game behind the scenes. That must have been a huge thrill for you and great recognition. Oh, I was, you know, I remember opening the letter and I was sort of reading and I thought, oh, this is, this is for me. And, um, yeah, I, look, I was one of the greatest honours I've ever had and be alongside people like, you know, Wes Loss and Keith McKenzie, you know, from Carlton that have sort of won the award as well. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, sort of pretty proud, you know, for my family and all that, that have, uh, probably put up with a lot, not sort of, you know, in the old days recruiting and things, you're away all weekend and, you know, particularly uh, up in Queensland, you know, you travel every second week and 
we had three little babies and Carol, my wife would be, uh, you know, stuck there looking after the, the kids by herself. So it was, I sort of felt it was not just for me, but it was for the whole family and I really treasure it. You've been so highly regarded by the world of football and that's why you're around. It's been a pleasure to sit down and relive some of the great memories that you've had and I promise there'll be no more doorstops outside <laughs> doors with television cameras sitting there waiting for you. Those days are gone. <laughs> oh, well, it was a pleasure, Pete, and I really appreciate it. Good on you, mate. Shane O'Sullivan joining me as my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Visit to the uh, the website. I'll say that again. Visit the website, tobinbrothers.com.au to find out some more. Plenty more still to come next week. Another great of Australian sport. Hope you can join us then. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.